0: Welcome to the Truth In My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men.
1: Good afternoon. My name is Moses, and welcome back to another Truth In My Days apologetics program. Today, we have Johnny speaking with John regarding strategies to address alleged errors in the Bible. Yesterday, we continued to look at rules. We looked at five rules from rule number four to rule number nine. Rule number 4 addressed apparent mistakes in the English due to bad or imprecise translations due to varying vocabularies in different languages. Rule number 5 looked at the different ways in which a word in one language can be translated in multiple different ways in another language. Rule number 6 was to remember that counting time varied from culture to culture. Rule number 7 reminded us that people could have multiple names in the Bible and one person can be called a different name in another passage, for example Simon or Peter. Rule number 8 reviewed the alleged errors in the Old Testament about Job counting David's armies. There seemed to be a discrepancy between the numbers. We learned that we must ensure we understand what exactly is being spoken of in this passage. Similarly, our rule number 9 focused on understanding context and in this case we looked at Judas' example. Today we continue with more rules. And then it
2: continues with what Peter's saying. He says, these scriptures have to be fulfilled. And number one, Peter says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So Peter quotes two prophecies, two things he sees as prophecies about Judas. One, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it. And two, let another take his office. The second one, let another take his office, they fulfill immediately by picking a replacement. But what about that first one? Let his dwelling place be desolate, let no one live in it. Peter doesn't explain how that one's fulfilled. And that's why Luke introduces that editorial comment. He is telling us why his place became desolate and no one lived in it. It was his money that bought the field. But with his rotting dead body collapsing, they're turning into a field of blood, making it unclean. Nobody wants to dwell there. So Luke inserted that comment, not to tell us how Judas died, but to tell us how that prophecy that Peter identified, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it, how that was fulfilled. So when you look at context, you see what is the writer intending to say? That's supposed contradiction disappears. It's not really a contradiction at all, because as we said, he hanged himself and then later his body fell. But it explains why Luke mentions only this part about the body falling and not about how Judas actually died. Principle number 10, don't try to explain what's not there. We get into trouble when we try to explain what's not there. In Matthew 2.23, we read this, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Well, you don't find that prophecy anywhere in the Old Testament. There's no prophecy about the Messiah saying he shall be called a Nazarene. And this gives fodder to the skeptics in two ways. Uh, Number one, they will say there's no such city as Nazareth at the time of Jesus. One skeptic puts it this way, that... The gospels tell us this was his hometown, but when we look at historical confirmation of this hometown, surprise, surprise, no other source confirms that the place even existed in the first century AD. It's not mentioned once in the entire Old Testament. Uh, in the book of Joshua is, as the Israelites are settling the Holy Land, it lists uh, 12 towns, six villages, and Nazareth is not on that list. Uh, The Talmud named 63 Galilean towns doesn't mention Nazareth. Uh, Paul doesn't mention Nazareth in his writings. No ancient historian or geographer mentions Nazareth, not until the fourth century. Josephus doesn't mention it. And so skeptics will claim that it didn't exist. Now, the skeptic says very clearly, none of this would matter, of course, if the rather like the nearby pagan city of Sepphoris, We could stroll through the ruins of first century bathhouses, villas, theaters, etc. Yet no such ruins exist. It's not mentioned by a historian, and we don't have the remains of it. Now, we could notice right away that they're really being too clever by half here, because if there's no such town, why would the gospel writers make that his hometown? If there was a town mentioned in the fourth century, why would they name a town after a fictitious town in the gospel books? Unless, of course, the gospel books weren't written until the fourth century, and yet nobody thinks that because they, are, they have manuscripts from the second century and possibly the very end of the first century. We have one. We still have a lot of quotations from the church fathers going back into the first century, quoting the gospel books. So we know that. So this, this problem, I think the skeptics are being a little too clever here by half. And there's no good arguments anyway. This is an argument from silence to say that we don't have mentions of it. Mm-hmm by the historians, doesn't prove it wasn't there. By all accounts, Nazareth was not a big or important city. Book of Joshua, well, we're told, it records 12 towns and six villages. Well, there were an awful lot more than that. And more were being built all along through those centuries that the Jews lived in that land. More and more of them were being built. Now, St. Paul, we're told, Paul knows nothing of Nazareth. Well, so what? Paul is not recapitulating the biography of Jesus. They already have Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke for that. He's teaching theology. But here's, here's, here's the, uh, the fun part. As, as the skeptic says, none of this would matter, of course, if rather like at the nearby pagan city of Sepphoris, we could stroll through the ruins of first century Nazareth, yet no such ruins exist. Uh, Well, that stopped being the case as of December year 2009. Report that came out from the Israeli Antiquities Authority on December 21st, 2009 says an archaeological excavation the Israeli Antiquities Authority recently conducted has revealed new information about ancient Nazareth from the time of Jesus. Remains of a dwelling that date to the early Roman period were discovered for the first time. The dwelling and older discoveries of nearby tombs and burial caves suggest that Nazareth was an out of the way hamlet of around 50 houses on a patch of about four acres. It was evidently populated by Jews of modest means. And it comes to replete with pictures. So, yeah, guess what? Those ruins that our skeptic was saying, hey, if we could walk through them, that would prove that Nazareth existed. Well, the ruins have been found. You could, in fact, try to walk through them if they would let you. So that argument has disappeared. But let's return to that quote. He came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. And as we said, no such quote is found in the Old Testament. And a lot of fanciful explanations have have been offered by apologists to explain that. They would say that Nazarene sounds similar to the Hebrew word for for branch, and the Messiah can be called the branch. But what we have to remember is there are many, many prophets in the Old Testament, hundreds, thousands of prophets through the years in the Old Testament. Only a very few of them actually ever wrote any scripture. There may may have been many oral prophecies known in those days that were not written in scripture. What it says here in Matthew 2.23, it says, might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, not written might have been an oral tradition that's simply an oral prophecy that was handed down, even though it was written down in Scripture. Now, some people might say, oh, that's, that's special pleading. Uh, but it isn't, because we have a precedent for it in the Old Testament. Uh, if you would look, for example, at this passage from 2 Kings 14, 23 to 25, we'll read the whole thing. But what it says is, in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Yoash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Yoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath hepher Now think about that for a moment. Jonah, the son of Amittai, is... Jonah, in our book of Jonah, the one that was swallowed by the great fish. Now, 2 Kings tells us that he made a prophecy about Jeroboam uh, restoring the territory of Israel. But you can search through the book of Jonah, you will not find any such prophecy. It's not written down in the Old Testament. But it was made. It was spoken, as we see here, and we know that because 2 Kings 14.23 records what? It's fulfillment doesn't record the original prophecy, but it records its fulfillment of a prophecy that was spoken, not written. And that's exactly then what we see in the case of He Shall Be Called a Nazarene. It was spoken, not written. Scripture records its fulfillment, not its original statement. And we know that because it says spoken, it doesn't say written. So there we go. If you look carefully, you're not going to find a problem. Rule number 11. Consider the multiplicity of events, and this is important because often skeptics will look at the record of an account written in, St. Matthew, and the same account written in Luke, and they will say, look at the differences here. There's no way to reconcile the differences. It's obviously an error. The problem with that is they're often not records of the same event because Jesus was an itinerant preacher, Uh, which means he went from place to place, giving messages. And he often would reuse the same sermon, the same illustrations, the same allegories. And any, any pastor, any preacher knows that because he does the same thing and he reuses them, but he will also adjust them sometimes, change them a bit sometimes to suit his audience. For example, Matthew chapters 5 to 7 contain this long Sermon on the Mount that everyone is familiar with. And Luke has a sermon in Luke chapter 6 with with many similar elements. And people say, well, look at the contradictions, look at the differences, but look at the context, I'd say. Luke chapter 6, this is known as the Sermon on the Plain, not the Mount. There are enough differences to show that this is Jesus giving a, a sermon, speech, in which he's reusing a lot of the same elements. But it was given a different time, different place to different people. And there would be differences. Uh, look at his, his uh, parable of the talents, for example, Matthew 25. Very similar to his parable of the minas in Luke chapter 19, but clearly not on the same occasion. There are more than enough differences to show that. And how he changed it because he's trying to get a slightly different message across. So you have to understand that as a uh, itinerant evangelist, there can be lots of times where he's doing the same kind of things, saying the same kind of things. And you find errors because you find two of them and you're assuming they're records of the same event when in point of fact, they might be records of different events. A twelfth point, and, and that's important, disagreements with current scientific theories and archaeological knowledge do not constitute errors just as in the case of nazareth people say ah nazareth that's an error there's no such no such town at that time and they keep saying that until the town's actually unearthed and the history of biblical archaeology is is one big litany like that skeptics saying oh this didn't happen that's the wrong title this couldn't have been and subsequent archaeological discoveries always showed the bible to be right and the skeptics to be wrong
0: thank you everyone for listening today unfortunately we have run out of time But please join us for the next part tomorrow. Same time and same place. If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. We would love to hear from you.